Hi, this is James Clary from the Clarification Podcast. We really appreciate you sharing and watching our videos. If you feel so inclined, we could really use your help. You know, we spend hours and sometimes days researching these topics. And as much as we love it, we could really use your support. If you're on Spotify, go to our channel and there's a link where you can donate. Or if you're inclined, go to our website, which is clarification, that's C-L-A-R-Y, vacation.com, and there's a one-time donation button for PayPal. We really appreciate your support. And now, our feature presentation. Hey everybody, it's the Clarification Podcast. I'm James Clary, your host, along with my pal in the studio, Russell West. What's up? How you doing, man? All right. Good. Hanging in there. Good, good. It's been a busy week. Yeah. It's that time of year, everybody's working hard, it's hot. Dude, yeah, it's been real bad this week. It's been Africa hot here in Missouri. <laughs> out man. of nowhere, man. Oh, I know. I know. It was like 70 and then 90. Yeah. That sucks it was when you're not paying attention to the weather. yesterday. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Golly. But we're excited to have our regular economic correspondent, John Sturdivant, calling in live from uh, California to uh, give us an update on the economy and what the hell's going on in this crazy world. And we always love having John on. Gives us a unique perspective. And, uh, John, I'll just start by saying <clears throat> I did a uh, solo show yesterday and I brought your name up and I said, look, I've known this guy for 40 years and I've always known him, right longer than that actually, but I've always yeah, known him to be kind of level-headed. You were always the guy that kept us from getting in real serious trouble. You were the guy, <laughs> no, guys, let's calm down. But when you said to me recently, look, I would seriously stock up on food, I'm like, holy smoke. So wow. anyway, how are you, John? Welcome. Man, I'm doing great. It's uh, wonderful to be back on the show. Always well, happy to chip in my cent and a half worth of whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot going on in the economic world, and I've been following a little bit. John, with some of the issues with commodities, like there was yeah. a story recently about diesel that, you know, normally we have uh, a backside in the pipeline that we've got, you know, several hundred extra gallons per person that use it or some. We're down to three gallons or some in the East Coast. What do you know about that? Well, I mean, it's a regional problem. Uh, the East Coast has got severe supply issues with diesel fuel, and uh, according to a source that I was not able to verify, but it looked it looked uh, legit, they were down to three days. Three days, that's clock. right. Right. Not three yeah, gallons. And it's, yeah. it's not because, it, it, yeah, and it's not, not because there isn't a national supply of diesel. It's regional because of um, regulatory limitations on how they get their fuel into the area. So, it, you know, yes, there, yes, diesel is very expensive. Yes, it's an unusually short supply around the world. But a lot of it has to do with transportation of fuel mm. gotcha. to the East Coast. 
So, I mean, it's a big problem, but, and I think it could cause some rationing in that part of the country. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not panic time. Gotcha. Yet. Well, okay, another supply side, not supply side, a supply chain issue that's been at the headlines of everybody's news is this baby formula deal. And I read that part of the problem was that WIC, this government program, has these huge contracts for baby formula to give low-income mothers and that they had given this contract to a particular company who were shut down due to a food poisoning issue. And when that, yeah, so when that happened, this company was supplying like 80% of all the baby formula because of their government contract. So I don't know, do you know anything about that and the formula going to the, the border to feed immigrants or? I'm, a, I'm aware uh, but I have not looked into it. And I gotcha. Really don't have what about commodities in general and how they relate to stocks, bonds? Um, what What are your thoughts? I just I hear people talking about the commodities market and that it's something we need to pay more attention to. Yeah. So I mean, there's a variety of different commodities, building materials, uh, whether it's lumber, copper, all the other the inputs that. They go into building of a house, to making of a car, you name it. Uh, but there's also soft commodities that are foods, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's some interesting data coming out of that, out of commodities numbers. And some of them, believe it or not, have actually rolled over and started to go down. Mm. Uh, some of the soft commodities are actually getting a little bit cheaper, which is sort of a new development. Copper, which is... People in my business call copper Dr. Copper because it's an excellent indicator of future economic activity. Really? Copper peaked out, I want to say, yeah, I want to say six weeks ago. And it's not in rapid decline, but it's, it's rolled over and it's headed south. Uh, and there's, there's several instances of that. Uh, the more stubborn commodities, uh, energy, obviously, um, it's a supply side issue. Mm. And so we're going to continue to see very expensive um, fossil fuel-driven costs. And there's a reason for that. And, and I think we touched on it in a couple of sessions ago. Yeah, but go, but over, go over it again, before. please. Yeah, this, this is something I wasn't aware of. Uh, but I listened to a really interesting uh, podcast on Grant Williams' site, which is one of the ones I subscribe to. And by the way, I just want to say that I'm a happy subscriber and contributor to the Clarification <laughs> Podcast. This podcast is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, thank, thank you. you. That's awesome. I think you, I think you guys are doing an amazing job. And, you know, it, it's, it's a value proposition for me, and I'm happy to have you in my budget. Oh, You're thanks, worth the money. That's cool. Okay. Thanks. But, uh, but I digress. Um, so this guy is, uh, I can't recall his name. I think it's uh, Rothman, uh, but he's he's been following and analyzing the energy markets for over forty years. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that was going to the OPEC meetings as early as nineteen seventy eight. Wow! So this guy has been around the block. And what's happened in the energy markets is OPEC nations 
used to have 30 million barrels a day of capacity. So they could take up the slack anytime anything went wrong mm-hmm. with the oil markets. So you have OPEC nations and you have non-OPEC nations. And OPEC nations are the ones that have excess capacity. Non-OPEC nations always produce at full capacity. Okay? And so the swing producer over the last several decades really has been the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And with the shale boom, our daily production was as high as 10 million barrels a day. It has now tapered off. I want to say just under 8 million, maybe 7.5 million barrels a day. So that's a big change. Yeah. Then, then the uh, Russian-Ukraine incident comes along. Russia's production and distribution is down by 3 million barrels a day. Well, guess what? OPEC excess capacity can't cover it all anymore. Wow. So their excess capacity is all the way from 15, 16 million barrels a day down to around three. And it isn't because they're running out of oil. It's because they've cut way back on investments in the infrastructure that, that give them productive capacity. So the world's not running out of oil, but it's way behind on investment in productive capacity. Was some of that reduction in OPEC OPEC due to the fact that under Trump, the United States had upped our production to such levels that OPEC didn't need to produce all that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I think what's happened is um, there have been some instances in the past where there there were a temporary glut of oil. Yeah. And that's very harmful to them. And so they're reticent. To produce more. Sure. I, I think they'd like to have more excess capacity so they can make more money in good times. But one, So one thing that they did when uh, when the United States increased capacity was they cut theirs back. Right. Okay. To keep the price well, now, high, higher. Yeah. Yeah. Well, excess capacity is a problem for them. It increases their cost of operation. Mm. Right. Yeah. So that makes that just makes it less profitable. And so their stance on productive capacity is going to be through the lens of is this a profitable uh, venture for us and does it make sense for us? So you're not going to see them investing in infrastructure until it makes sense for them to do it. Gotcha. And so these these energy driven uh, inflation input costs aren't going away anytime soon. And unfortunately, uh, the administration canceled the sale of several leases in Alaska last week. I saw that. Yeah, they're catching a little bit of heat for that, and rightly so, because, my goodness, even if we start investing in productive capacity now, it's going to be 18 months before that comes online. Yep. We are already way behind the curve. And if if you look at the industry and... Historically, the, the amount of money that's invested to keep up with declining capacity, we've had a $2.5 trillion deficit of investment. Mm. Okay, so for the last six years, that money has not been invested. And so that's one of the big reasons, probably the key driver 
of lack of productive capacity in non-OPEC nations. Yeah. This doesn't solve itself anytime soon. Yeah, because you sign a lease, now you've got to... You've got to go search it. You've got to just to get a rig into some of these spots can take months. Out. Then you've got to get it out. It's got to be refined. Can you get the refinery space? It's got to be trucked. I mean, yeah, 18 months sounds like a Optimistic. short time. Optimistic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what else is going on in the financial markets that give you pause? I know there was a huge report about inflation in April just being nuts. Highest in 40 years. Well, yeah. Yeah, so it backed off a little bit. CPI came down yeah. from a, from the April peak of 8.7 down to, I think, 8.1%, mm-hmm. which is still a terrible number. Right. But again, the thing to look at, if, if, you, if you're looking at this through the lens of an investment policy, uh, it's, what I look at is the direction of data and how quickly it's going there. So... Uh, inflation rolling over is actually good news for the for the country, but the thing to remember about that is we just had an 8.7 print, which is very very uncomfortable. Even if deflation continues to decelerate, and we get down to say four percent by the end of the year, which is possible, you're um, still adding four percent on top of what happened last year. Yeah, so like so the st- this, this yeah. Disinflation is not the same thing as deflation. Disinflation is just the, it's slowing the rate of inflation, which is still going higher. Yeah, so if you're paying $5 for a dozen of regular eggs right now, it's going to be 4% higher. It's not going down. It's just the rate of rise is slowing down, which is, God, people can't afford food as it is right now. It's crazy. Well, I know that some of this, and I think you would argue that a lot of the inflation is due to the, the Fed and it's just printing of funny money just over and over. Now they want to send, you know, $40 billion to Ukraine, which is moronic. And they just, they passed this budget. Didn't they pass a trillion and a half infrastructure budget? Joe Biden claims that he's cut the deficit a trillion. Why don't you, which is total BS, because he maybe he did, but... Can you explain the difference in a, the, the debt and the deficit? Sure. So the total debt, accumulated debt, is now pushing $30 trillion. That's what the United States owes other people, right? Well, yeah. Okay. That, that's, the, that's the amount of bonds that have been issued and that are currently held by whomever. Right. Right. It, it could be foreign nations that hold U.S. Treasuries as a reserve deposit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it can be individual investors. You know, my clients own treasury bonds. Sure. So it's soup to nuts. Yep. You know, lots, lots, everybody owns the U.S. treasury market, and it's the biggest, most liquid bond market in the world. Okay. And so that total, that total capital amount, just call it $30 trillion. Okay. The deficit, which has to be financed, is what you add to that number every year. Ah. Uh, okay. Gotcha. And we're likely to have another $1.5 trillion deficit. And whether or not Joe Biden or any other administration, whatever claims they make, are typically, you know, they're using fun, funny math to, to do that. Right. 
right? And and they'll also say, well, this is going to, they will project that certain budget items are going to reduce the deficit by a certain amount of money over a long period of time, and everybody forgets what the promise was, and they never come true. All right. You know, and this, it, you know, I'm no fan. Uh-oh, did I lose you guys? No, hang on, I'm you're no still fan. there. Okay, I'm no fan of Joe Biden, but he's not the only president that does this. Okay, right. You know, and anyway, I'm not sure he's actually aware of where he is. Well, so <laughs> what effect is carrying thirty trillion dollars in debt? What effect does that have on the economy? And us, everyday well, citizens. And does it mean anything or, or, or it, what? Yes, it means a lot. So you go back to the Reagan years. Yeah. When they started running up deficits that were, you know, it caused a lot of angst. Yep. And it, but it, it worked just fine because we were starting at a very low deficit as compared to the size of the economy. Mm. And back yeah. in those years, like when, you, when, you're, when you're debt huge, Debt to GDP ratio is three thirty percent. I'm guessing, but I think that's about what it was in the Reagan years. Mm-hmm. And you borrow a dollar, and you get more than a dollar's worth of economic growth. Gotcha. So in those years, you got a huge bang for a buck, and it was that administration that made us believe the deficit didn't matter. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that, and there's been a lot of research done around this. Once your debt to GDP ratio goes over sixty percent, in other words, if you're, let's just say to make it simple, your your um, your economic your total economy is ten trillion dollars a year. It's more than that, but if your debt goes over six trillion, yeah, or sixty percent of GDP, that's when everything changes. That's when you you if you borrow a dollar, you're getting less than a dollar to go. And so, past a certain point. Additional debt actually creates a drag on the economy, and it makes total um, uh, potential GDP growth go down as the deficit gets higher and higher above that critical rate. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, totally. I mean, simply put, the bigger the debt gets, you get past the point of diminishing returns, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And so... This deficit that went from twenty trillion to thirty trillion to three years, guys. Wow. Uh, this is an enormous problem. And if interest rates go up, then certain then debt service alone starts gobbling up more and more and more of the budget. So is that so this is an is that why they've tried to keep them? Uh, is that why they've tried to keep interest rates at zero as part of it, a payment on the debt? Well, there are two reasons why policy kept interest rates that low. The first one is they wanted to stimulate more robust growth, right? Yeah. And and it worked. Okay, we got higher growth. Yeah. Uh, but the, but they also wanted to keep it down to keep the debt service, in other words, the interest payments, as low as possible. So that, yeah, no, John, that makes total sense. And it's, it's frightening. And I, you know, I don't, it just doesn't seem to me that anybody gives a shit about the debt. I mean, you asked me the other day, John, you and I text quite a bit and you were like, Jimmy, why would they do? I mean, they're making decisions that are just terrible. I honestly 
feel more and more, John, they're just trying to burn the whole damn thing down. I mean, Biden was elected. We saw the movie 2000 Mules. Russ and I did a show on it. We're pretty sure the evidence is overwhelming. It was an illegitimate election. And not just the Democrats, but the, the rhino arm, which is most of the Republicans, the Mitch McConnell, Sean Hannity, Lindsey Graham, they just want to burn it down. It's, I can't come up with another solution. Well, look, it, it, it does seem that way. I mean, if, if you wanted to crash an economy, what they're doing is a surefire way to get it done. <laughs> it's just such an outrageous thought. Yeah. Why would we burn ourselves down? And so it, it's it's so audacious and ridiculous. It just it's very difficult to believe that that's why. Okay. Why would they uh, unleash a global pandemic on society? You know, but if you if you look at Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forums, and you read the book, The Great Reset. That, in my opinion, is the reason why you burn it down. Because until you burn it down and destroy it, you can't rebuild it. You can't reset it. And I think their aim, and you know, this gets into conspiratorial realms, but hell, he's written it. It's there in black and white. They want to reset the global economy where everything is tied together and there's ultimate control. It's, it's Huxley's Brave New World, man. I can't say that you're wrong. Again, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. Yep. Uh, you know, and and buy it completely. I hear you. But again, if if that was the objective, what they're doing makes perfect sense. Yeah, and is there any other? Well, you and I are scratching our heads because we can't come up with any other reason. It just does nothing makes sense. What's going on, Russ? Did you have something? Uh, well, it's a little off topic, but That's all right. if you want to go into it. Sure. Um, you know, I've been in Kansas. I've driven pretty much every interstate in Kansas mm-hmm. in the last two weeks. Kansas is a huge cattle area. There's a lot of ca- I, So these stockyards, I've seen s- square miles full, horizons, like the old buffalo, full of cattle in pens yeah. waiting to be slaughtered, and they're not being slaughtered. So I'm just kind of... Freaked out by that a little bit, I think. It's like it's not a supply shortage. It's just they've bottlenecked the whole thing to almost create it. And maybe I'm being a little conspiratorial well, here, but why is there square? I mean, every pin okay, is filled. Well, well, in the same line, and John, I'll get you in on this after this, but the same thing is with food. Remember, we talked a little bit. Actually, we didn't on the show. Maybe we need to go into it. The fact that these 30 to 40 food processing plants have been burned down. And people say, ah, it's a conspiracy. But when you look at the average rate, there's maybe one every two years. We've had 40 in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, chick From chicken plants to grain plants. And in talking to farmers, they're like, look, we're producing the hell out of food. Some farmers are being paid to pour their milk down the drain. I mean, something's going on. It's kind of like we a, were saying. There was a lot of empty fields in Kansas. Wow. What do you think, John? You're freaking me out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, look, it's not that there isn't a shortage of food because farmers aren't producing it. That's the point. Yeah. It's something else. 
Yeah, you could say the supply chain, the cost of diesel. Well, that would rise it up, but you'd still get the foods to the shelves. I was at the Walmart Supercenter the other day, and those uh, coffin coolers, that's what we call them in the grocery business. They're not the big ones that you open up. They sit low, you know. Just there are rows of them. You'd reach down into them. That's what it's like a coffin, right? Yeah, it's like you'd see turkeys and hams and chickens. Right, right, yeah. Swear to God. There were probably 15 of these coffin coolers. All were about four by four and four feet deep. Each one would probably hold on average 30 to 40 items. Total, there was like eight items. Most of them were empty. And then some oh, of them had a few things. I just don't get it. Like like Russ said, that cattle's out there. I got pictures if you want to see it. Yeah, pull them up. I'll, I'll, uh, that I'll, cattle's out there. We, you know, our friend, uh, local organic farmer here. We talked to him. Um, he's producing tons of food. His farm's going crazy. So these supply issues. I don't know. Have you looked at? Have, John, have you read any of those stories about these food production facilities being burnt down? Have you seen have. that? It's yeah. just weird, man. It is a little freaky. But like you said, you know, I mean, if they, they wanted to do it. And then for Biden to come out and warn that we're about to face food shortages. Did you see the news out of India, John? I thought that was pretty cool yesterday. India, Modi, who is really Trump's or India's version of Trump, he's a populist. And, mm-hmm. and was elected on the coattails of Brexit, Trump. Uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil. Anyway, he said, look, we're not going to export any grain. We're going to make sure our people are fed first. And he goes, hell yes, we're buying, and he didn't say it like that, but he mm-hmm. said, hell yes, we're buying Russian oil. We're getting it at a discount, and we're going to buy all we can. He's a, right. He's taking care of his country. Instead, so what do we do? We ban the imports of wheat from Russia, and they're the, the uh, largest producer of wheat in the world. 20% of wheat exports come from Russia. We don't plan our own. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we're not planting wheat. I don't know, man. I think there's plenty of food. It's not like farmers aren't producing food. There's a, there's a lot of empty fields. The United States has to be a net exporter of wheat. I would think John, do you you know? That's absolutely true. You know, that the contiguous United States has more arable, land than any other nation in the world by and far. confirm yeah <laughs> now I there's that. absolutely no question that we can feed ourselves and continue to export a lot of food around the world no doubt is that why they pay farmers sometimes to not produce is because we produce too much i don't know i don't know either that's something we need I've to look into something about that where they're like hey we've got too much we can't store it but here we're going to pay you as as if you did well, what's amazing to me is that Jen Psaki in these interviews, you know, she was asked about the baby formula deal and her answer is, well, tell those mothers to call their doctor. I mean, if, if I, this is common sense. If I were president, I know, can you believe that? I would have every head of every trucking company, grocery company, farmers, co-op, agriculture. I'd have them in a room. The The hearings would be televised live. I mean, there's no action. Enact the defense uh, thing. You right, know, we're, the, we're the, the defense, what is that, the, the defense authorization? Yes, yes, where we just right. take over and make some stuff. Like Trump did with ventilators. Masks, all that And stuff. masks. Yes. 
I mean, it's just insane. There's no action. And Congress, Congress wants to, they're concerned about, Mitch McConnell even said the other day, it's apparent to everyone that the most single most important uh, issue in the world right now is the war in Ukraine. Are you freaking high? It's unbelievable. It, it really is. I mean, and we're just, I mean, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. And I went off on the, the 40 billion to Ukraine. I'm not going to go back there again, but we have so many problems here. I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Well, November is going to be interesting, John. That's all I'm going to say. No, I have a well, lot it, more to say, but it, look, it's going to be a slaughter. Yeah. Uh, the question is, you know, my concern is that the Republicans are going to do what they always do, is get power and then screw it up. Do nothing. Yeah. They they never, ever miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> the old don't let a crisis go to waste. No, they let it go to waste every time, Absolutely. don't they? No, I know. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, we've got to get America first candidates. And I do find this interesting, and I know this is our economic show, but – Politics and the economy have a lot to do with each other. You know, Trump endorsed this uh, Ahmet Oz, Dr. Oz, in the Pennsylvania mm-hmm. Senate race. This woman, Kathy Barnett, this black woman raised on a pig, pig farm, product of rape, according to her, who mm-hmm. was, you know, bootstrapped, pulled herself up, joined the service to get a college tuition paid, and... She is a hundred percent America first type person, as opposed to Oz, who's been a liberal all of his life. She's actually leading in the polls. She spent a hundred and forty thousand compared to thirty million by the other two candidates, and Trump endorsed somebody else. My point in this: these people that think this is about Trump are wrong. It's about a movement. It's not the man. What do you think? Well, that's really interesting. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't followed that very closely. Yep. I've had my hands full trying to manage money sure. in these markets. Um, and so I spend an awful lot of time looking at data and trying to figure out what the hell to do. Right. Uh, but, but look, I mean, it boggles the mind. Why wouldn't you support someone like that? I don't know. That is the, that is the epitome of the American dream. Yeah. That you could come from such low beginnings make something of yourself yeah says everything you really need to know about this country this is still the best place to take advantage of opportunities yep in spite of everything we've done to screw it up it's still a great country with yep. lots of opportunities yeah people aren't leaving america to go elsewhere in spite of the hollywood celebrities threatening to do so you're right people still come here by the tens hundreds of thousands there's a hundred thousand at a camp right outside of houston right now waiting to come in you're right it's the land of opportunity it still is why trump would support he says it's because barnett this woman can't win in the general election so dr oz is the answer i don't know i just i'm beginning to wonder if trump has just been bought out i mean some of his decisions are insane you know he's he's Still touting the vaccine thing when everybody knows now that was a joke, big mistake. Well, honestly, Trump really lost me 
when he didn't pardon Julian Assange. Yep. When he didn't. Ed Ed Snowden. Ed Snowden. I mean, I I love the debate around this uh, and the narrative that try to paint these people as traitors to their nation. Uh, And, of course, Julian Assange isn't an American to begin with, so he can't be a traitor to the United States. (laughs) The man is a journalist. Yep. Um, Snowden risked his liberty to out the NSA. He proved that they were the criminals. And if he came home, he'd be, he'd be put in jail. It's, it's unconscionable. Is that, is that not the definition of a patriot? Yeah. To risk your risk everything to disclose wrongdoing. And isn't it that Trump didn't pardon the guy. Right. And isn't it the definition of an authoritarian state a, that that tries to prosecute a guy like this. I just heard Cheryl Atkinson. I mentioned on another show, <clears throat> Cheryl Atkinson was a 60 minutes reporter who was fired because she wanted to do a story on Obama. That wasn't hundred percent favorable. She started her own news site. She's an excellent investigative reporter. She tells the truth. FBI came after her. She just testified before Congress that a whistleblower had come and said they were going to plant child pornography on her husband's computer. I mean, this is how bad it's gotten. The January 6th people, 90% of them were walking in the Capitol, waved in. They were taking freaking pictures. They were walking between the ropes. And some of them have been in prison for 12, 14 months now. I mean, yeah, John, the fit's messed up, bro. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Yeah. No, you're not. It's it's scary. It is. Um, so it, you know, again, it's it's just so hard to get your head around this stuff. And the way I look at it is, okay, what what are the things that I can do to make a positive difference in my life, in my family's life, and and that of my clients and and perhaps friends? And you know, what I feel like I can do is make good decisions in the investment process. Yeah. And it kind of go back where the, the first time we did one of these podcasts, uh, the market was still at very lofty levels. Yeah. But we saw a deterioration coming in economic data. And they gave us that, that really told us it was time to, to cut back on risk assets. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to where we are today, um, economic data continues to deteriorate. We had a nice rally last week, but that was one of those opportunities. If you haven't lightened up on risk assets, when you see a jump like that in this market and you haven't trimmed back on risk assets in your portfolio, particularly in stocks that are technology, uh, financials, those kinds of companies that did incredibly well last year are still vulnerable to big time downside. So that, that, that's so awesome how you just automatically segue into what I was going to ask you. <laughs> Um, so are you still recommending that our listeners diversify with more hard assets like precious metals? I am. And actually, you know, there's a big opportunity that's come because gold's well off of its all time high. Really? Of around 2140 an ounce. We're down to 1800. Oh, could it go lower than that? Yeah, it, it absolutely could. Now, part of the reason that gold is underperformed, it's it's about even for the year. Yeah. So that's been a pretty decent thing to own this year. If you bought 
you know, at 1900 and change, and you're, you know, feeling a little bit unhappy about it right now. But the reason gold got hammered, well, not hammered, but it's underperformed in the last few months is because interest rates have shot up quite a bit. Yeah. Right? The 10-year bond within the last 60 days has gone from about 1.75% all the way up to 310. And it started to back off a little bit. So high interest rate is a negative for precious metals. Okay. A rising dollar. The dollar has gone absolutely parabolic. That's a negative for gold. Both of those things are going to correct themselves. And the reason I say that is because even though the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates at the federal funds rate, okay, and the federal funds rate is what money center banks borrow money from the Federal Reserve. At. Right. That That's not an interest rate that anybody else gets. Gotcha. And so the bond market may respond a little bit to tightening policy or raising interest rates, but what it really responds to is economic performance. Mm. So this economy, growth numbers, we had a negative post for the first quarter, right? Yep. GDP contracted by 1.4% in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. We're going to see another decline in the second quarter, which means that we will officially be in a recession. Which you told us that was the definition. Two quarters of... Two quarters in a row. Yeah, okay. So and we'll, so yep. treasury yields, treasury yields should start coming down. What's and that so, mean exactly? So in other words, we were talking about the 10-year treasury bond yield, yep. which is sort of a, it's an important benchmark. Everybody looks at that. Yep. What's the 10-year doing? Right now, if you, if you listen to Wall Street narrative, they're all saying rates are going to continue to go higher. I think that's wrong. I think that because the bond market responds to economic performance and because the economy is starting to slow, once everybody figures out that that's what's going on, bond yields should drop dramatically. So we went from 1.75 to 3.1. We could easily go down to 1% on the 10-year bond by the end of the year. So I think there's a big opportunity in treasuries to make money, not only not only is a, a lower risk asset to have in your portfolio, it should perform pretty well by the end of the year. Treasury bonds and, and gold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I'll you know, you that. can buy the easy way to buy treasury bonds. There's two ETFs that I use, and I mentioned this several months ago, but there's a, there's a intermediate term bond fund, symbol IEI. It trades like a stock, and you can get in and out of it anytime you want to. Mm. That would be a relatively low-risk way to, to participate in falling interest rates. A more aggressive ETF or exchange-traded fund is TLT. That's the long-term treasury ETF. And I've got some money in there, and I've got a bloody nose. I bought it too soon. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm down about 12% on my TLT, but I'm going to hang on to it. I'm sure it's going to come back. It'll come back. Yeah, and gold, yeah, no, look, you, I, could, I was going to say gold, you could buy. Well, of course, you're not you're not swami. You don't have a crystal ball. But, I mean, you are an economic expert, and you give your prognostication based on the best evidence and historical data and trends. So gold, you could buy the physical as, asset, or you can buy stocks, associated with gold and the mining business, correct? Yes, 
there's an ETF that I like for gold. It's the Sprott Physical Gold Trust. Okay. And the reason I like that one is because they hold bullion in the Royal Bank of Canada, Canada, in Royal Bank of Canada's vault. Okay. And their fund is 100% backed by gold bullion. Physical gold bullion. Okay. Physical gold, yeah. And the symbol is P-H-Y-F. F as in Frank? No, S. S as in Sam. P-H-Y-F. Okay. Okay. And so you can buy that. Um, you can average into it. And like, so what you, what I'd like, what I do with clients is we figure out how much money are we going to allocate to this asset? And let's just say for the sake of discussion, I think people should have 10% of their money in precious metals and mining stocks. Okay. It, it's like disaster insurance. Yeah. Gold and silver love chaos. And believe me, folks, it's going to get a lot more chaotic before things get calm. Well, let me ask you, John, because you hear all these, or at least I do, I hear massive amounts of uh, commercials by all these companies saying, convert your IRA to gold. Now, I know that you don't have to convert the whole thing, but like Leanne, I was talking to her, and she's like, well, you know, I just... I had my retirements all in these debt that does. So um, I know you and her are going to get together sometime. She always says she's going to do this stuff, and then she <laughs> never does. But um, Franklin Gold, that's one of the ones I hear all the time. Convert your IRA to gold, you know, no tax. You can convert some of an IRA from stocks into gold without incurring any tax or anything, right? Yeah, there's a couple of jumps, uh, hoops you have to jump through. You have to open up an account with them, whatever. And there's more than one company that does this. Right. You do an IRA transfer. It's not a taxable event. So let's let's say you got a rollover IRA, Mm -hmm. or you have a 401k with with an employer. You still have it, but you're not working there anymore. You have the ability to roll that 401k into a self-directed IRA anywhere you want to. Gotcha. Right. Now, I don't have any clients that have separate IRAs just to hold precious metals. Yeah. Um, And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do, but you have to understand that there are embedded costs. Sure. Anytime you have something where you've got a a counterparty that's holding your metals for you, Mm -hmm. there's a fee for that. Couldn't you just, within your IRA, forget this outside company, couldn't you just, within your IRA, instruct your, whoever, instruct your John Sturdivant financial guy, say, hey, take uh, these 200 shares of Walmart and buy some gold stocks with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so I'm using ETFs to participate in precious metals. It is not a perfect solution. Yeah. But frankly, there is no perfect way to own precious metals. Well, the best way they're, I found is I put them in my refrigerator in a little box that looks like cheese. And now we all know. <laughs> I dude, I did. I bought. I bought an ounce of gold a while back at sixteen fifty, and uh-huh. sold it at two thousand. And I wouldn't have sold it except I needed the cash at that time. But. I understand. Yeah, yeah something to understand about buying precious metals, and this is particularly true in silver. Yeah. Right now, the premiums over spot price. So you've got a spot price of silver. Right now, it's 
21 and changing out. Yep. You go to buy Silver Eagles, you're going to pay 26 bucks for a coin. Yep. You know because what? Because they, they're in pretty short supply. Right. You know what they gave me silver in, John? I wasn't getting Silver Eagles. You know what I got? Quarters. Pre. It's always junk silver. Yeah. It's whatever year yep. that was that they put, you know, where quarters were 80% silver. Mm-hmm. They, right. I bought, I can't remember, eight. I don't know, 20 ounces of silver, and I got it in quarters. Okay. It's crazy. Nothing wrong with doing that. No. So that tells you, too, if you're looking at quarters, like if you're one of those people that has a change jar, find out that date. I can't remember what it is, but those quarters are worth more than 25 cents. But I digress. John, that's great advice, man. We love having you on, and it's so nice of you to take time out when you're in the middle of – uh, seeing your son, tell Grant, hey, and uh, yeah, by the way, did your ex-wife come? Yeah. Ah, that's here. cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, she's an amazing mom. I mean, I can't complain. I know people that have exes that are just nuts. Yeah. I don't have that problem. I mean, my kids have an amazing mom. That's she's, cool. I, I really admire her. She was a great example for my girls in particular. Yeah. You know, how to be, how to get educated. See, have your own deal. That's right? so awesome. I mean, what if your guy bails on you? you got to have your own gig. That's There you go, man. <laughs> yeah, That's right. So I All can't right. complain. It's been a great weekend. All right, buddy. It's great to talk to you. I hope to see you in Springfield the next time you're in. You know you and I will get together. Take care of yourself, I'm going to be there the first week of July. Can't wait to see you, man. See you then. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye.